Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must-listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode, nay, a bonus episode of Parks and Recollection. Uh, you may recognize my voice, but now you're going to really get to know it. It's producer Greg, Greg Levine, uh, longtime writer's assistant script coordinator on Parks and Rec, and then uh, I became a writer. And I'm joined by my co-producer, Mr. Rob Schulte. Rob, say hi. Hello, Greg. Hi. Hi. Sorry, I started with hello, but I meant hi. Thank you. Um, this is great. I love bonus episodes because you get to, you know, you get to put your foot on the gas a little bit, which I know you like to do before the recording. You said you like to drive. All right, fine. I like to drive. I don't think we need to get into the details of that. We can save that for the bonus bonus episode. Greg, there's a running theme, uh, that Alan has brought to our attention. That's right. Parks and Rec. There it is. (laughs) Gifts. Thanks, man. Parks and Rec gifts jobs, parties, right? And the central role they play on parks. And that's the theme of our bonus episode today. We're starting off with jobs. Then we'll have a party with Gabe Perello, the prop master extraordinaire for Parks and Recreation, to talk through how gifts impacted parks. And you know what? Then we've got a gift for you guys, a special giveaway for one of our lucky listeners. And we're going to give you the details at the end of the show. So exciting. I'm I'm very thrilled. I love giveaways. You know, this is my first um, foray into the podcasting world. It's great. I was always told I had a face for radio. This is great to see it come true. Um, but Schulte, I know this is not your first rodeo on radio. Wow, Greg. Thank you. Tell us, I'm dying to know, can you tell me a little bit about your time in the podcast space? Tell me about uh, this world that we're working in. 
Well, I got my start with a, a comedy writer named Mike Sachs. We did a podcast together when I still lived in Kansas. And then I started working more professionally uh, in Brooklyn, New York. And then I started working on this heck of a podcast and took me out to the West Coast. I think if you were to guess that I've produced under 10 podcasts, you would guess wrong. So I've had experience making episodes. This has been one of the most fun experiences, though. Today, you and me right now talking. Exactly. The backdoor pilot to our new podcast. Um, everyone hit us up on Instagram. We'll tell you what it is. Uh, private links only. Now, Greg, what I really meant to say was actually working on Parks and Recollection. Thank you. Because uh, I love review podcasts. I love... 22-minute TV shows is the best length of time for a television show. And I love being able to, like, poke fun at things as well as expand on, like, the details it took to make something. You have said a couple of things about your time on Parks and Recreation um, and that you started as a writer's assistant and then eventually became a writer. Is that correct? Yeah, I started... Um on Parks and Recreation when it was technically going to be a spinoff of The Office. My little origin story is that um, I was working for uh, Allison Jones, casting director we, we had on our show. She knew I wanted to be a writer, and one of the gateways to being a TV writer is being a writer's assistant, that person in the writer's room, taking notes, helping them craft stories. Um, and so, unbeknownst to me, she would call Greg Daniels or email Greg Daniels about once a week and say, I have this guy you need to meet to be a writer assistant. I know you're going to do potentially a spinoff of The Office. And so one day we go to the office set for a visit. I think it's just a visit. And then Greg Daniels comes up to me and he says, so you want to be a writer? And we talked a little bit. And for me, this was just me meeting my hero. This is incredible. Why is yeah. he spending precious time talking to little me and then he said you want to meet some of the other writers and it was like I, I i wasn't sure if like i was being fired and this was like a nice way to like say goodbye uh <laughs> and so he walks me through the office set and already i'm like kid at a candy shop he opens a, a door and mike shore and paul lieberstein and jen salata the some of the best uh office yeah. writers are in the room and i wind up talking to mike um for like 10 or 15 minutes and again, I don't know I'm being interviewed for anything. Um, I had yeah. worked on The West Wing, which is my favorite show of all time. So this is crazy now to be working with Rob Lowe. Um, and so we talked about The West Wing. We then randomly talked about MASH, which is another show I love. And I thought, <laughs> this is crazy. I don't know what happened today, but this is really cool. Man, Greg, I have so many thoughts on MASH. But we'll get to that later. Sorry. Keep going. No, it's okay. We could talk about, you know, the BJ Honeycutt years, the Trapper John years, another time. We could save that for our bonus, bonus, bonus episode. I told you it gets too arty in that last season. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, the point of the story is that I interviewed for this job without realizing I was interviewing for this job. Because then Mike and Greg said to me, you know, we think we're going to do a spinoff or another show if I wanted to come aboard and be the writer's assistant. And so the, I guess my takeaway from that is try to interview for things without knowing it's an interview. You're more yourself. It's great. 
Now, Greg, um, in terms of establishing yourself um, in the Parks and Rec world, right, did it take, I don't know, some getting used to, if you've worked on other television shows, we always talk about how Parks is a little bit different when they're filming, you know, like, you have a fun take or just go with it, Amy, or faster, funnier, but when you're ingratiating yourself in a writer's room, do you feel like that was any different than previous rooms you'd been in or experiences you'd been in? Um, that's interesting. You know, I had worked on dramas before that because for some reason I thought I should be a drama writer because <laughs> so I liked watching dramas. I learned actually a lot of comedy writers like to watch drama to escape mm. the work and a lot of drama writers, writers write, like to watch comedy for the same reason. And um, working on The Office... And then Parks and Rec, um, you know, the off the writers' rooms tend to be more fun. <laughs> at least my experience. Not to say that drama rooms are not fun, uh, but there's just a lot of joking happening, and so you spend a lot of time in a writers' room. It becomes a very familial uh, experience, and spending sometimes 12, 15 hours a day with people the first season or two, it's nice to be laughing a lot. Um, so that was a, yeah. a big difference I, I saw. But, you know, I, I like to say that the writer's room um, is a bit like uh, like watching um, like a pack of lions or something, right? Ooh, like the movie Roar. Exactly like the movie Roar. Thank you for calling that out. It's just, it's a lot of people who uh, are so good at what they do, but you know, everybody has to figure out their place um, and everybody has to be collaborative because the last thing you want to be um, in the creative space is someone who stops the flow of creativity. Yeah. Tell me about it. Right. My, my wife's family has a don't yuck someone else's yum. Love it. One of my favorite phrases. And you just heard it today, which is incredible. Yeah. And it's the same thing in the writer's room. You don't want to be that person who negates an idea and doesn't help out and this is not my um analogy but it was told to me and i think it's a really great thing which is building a story with a bunch of writers is kind of like designing a house but there are no blueprints written down you're not looking at anything yeah so the blueprint is in the imagined space between people comedy or drama you want to create something together in the imagined space and if you are a person who can only see a flaw in something, you're not continuing the building. And I, what, that's one of the reasons I love writing. It's one of the reasons I love the TV writing experience, the collaboration, is because you are making something that is greater than the sum of each of your parts and can only have been made together. It makes a whole lot of sense with like the world that is built in Parks and Recreation. And on the side of like the podcast... I now understand why I've been told that I'm the Frank Lloyd Wright of podcast production. So, you know, I'm, I'm making light of like your analogy, but it really does make sense that when you have a group of people coming together that like, you don't know necessarily what's the finish line, but we're all making something that everyone enjoys. But I'd like you to make it real for me. The first couple of years of making a TV show, we've heard from Alan and we've heard from Rob, like their perspectives of it and like, you know, you're building a world or you're trying to connect the dots or you're trying to grow the characters. But like from from your perspective in the room where like everything is new and you 
weren't necessarily there at like concept. How does that change? How, can you help me understand that like scenario? Something that I think is really interesting about TV writing that we haven't really talked about yet um, is the time before you start shooting a season. So in the case of Parks and Rec, you know, the show is ordered and a bunch of writers are assembled. And now it's this group of people have to write a show based on generally just the pilot episode that the show's creators wrote. So the show, the creators, Greg Daniels, Mike Shore, write the pilot of Parks and Recreation. It has the characters we've come to know and love, but it's just a little tease, or a tease, right? It's just a little taste of yet to come. And now the show is going to be made. And so we had a seven writings, a person writing staff in the beginning. Um, and for about, oh, I don't know, like 10 weeks, these seven people are sitting around a bunch of couches in a room <laughs> and just talking about the show, talking about what characters could be. And it's kind of what we call in, uh, you know, in the writing world, like just blue sky pitching. Anything is possible. Yeah. Pitch. Just pitch an idea. It could be something that contradicts someone else. It could be something that it's just a half thought, a full thought. Just pitch. And we're going to throw a bunch uh, of note cards with all these pitches up on a wall. And we'll slowly start to see what naturally takes off. Like I was talking about the building of something. What naturally takes off down these characters. Because you could say that Leslie Nope is, you know, a civics-minded, type A, Tracy Flick-type character. And we can kind of understand that, but how is that now going to be actualized through mm -hmm. um, plot and character and action and, and emotion? And so that's what the prep time of every season is. It's where do we want to go with these characters? What are their arcs going to be like? Um, in the case of Parks and Rec Season 1, the arc really was supposed to be how do you build a park <laughs> yeah. and the minutia of building a park? Like we're going to make a whole episode about just canvassing a neighborhood and talking to citizens. And we're going to do a whole episode uh, about just trying to get media buzz with talking to a reporter, right? The day-to-day -day kind of unsexy, but maybe very interesting world, uh, you know, of civics. And so you take the plot you want to tell and then you say, okay, who are these characters supposed to be? You know, we see, we get that Ron Swanson is a libertarian who kind of wants to stop the flow of, of government and bring the, you know, <laughs> the responsibility back to the people. But how is that going to be actualized in plot? And then you spend an episode, you spend a day talking about Ron. And then you're going to spend... And then how do you make it realistic within a comedic world, too? Right. That's the other side of it. The, perhaps the, the hard part. Is once you've yeah you come up with a story and come up with the characters, you have to add and tell it through comedy and jokes. You can come up with your plot, you come up with your story, you can do it all, but then you have to also add jokes. You have to, to add jokes that tell story and tell plot at the same time, right? They're not just jokes for the sake of jokes, and so which is why like it's nice when we talked about Harris Whittles and his particular set of skills of being like. Harris, I need to get from point A to point B and sometimes point C. Do you have some words you can throw in there? And I could uh, I could get how chuffa like that or silly scenarios can really help like add accoutrement to the recipe. Enchanté. Thank you. 
Yeah, you know, for me as a writer's assistant at the time, who I, I didn't have a career as a writer yet, and so I was learning a lot from these these people in the room, and I was so lucky to have um, truly, uh, you know, unparalleled talent in the same in the same room with besides Greg and Mike, you know, Dan Gore, who we've spoken to, Rachel Axler, um, just one of the sharpest, wittiest people I've ever gotten to work with and know. <laughs> um, uh, you know, Tucker Colley, who had had so much experience working on shows like Everybody Loves Raymond and just the crafting of story after story after story and Norm, Norm Hiscock. Um, you know, uh, it was just a, a sight to see these people of different talents come together and make this thing. And so I got to learn how to craft story. Um, and one of the things I think is, is so interesting for the writers listening or just the f fans of shows is that so much of uh, what becomes a story is just a bunch of people talking in a room. It, it seems like, you know, you've always been a writer, but like you started as a, a, a newer writer than you are now. And do you think that becomes a harder stretch hitting your first big show that like you almost want to overcomplicate things? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that there is a tendency to, once it's your turn, so to speak, yeah. to put everything in the kitchen sink in that in, in your episode, right? It's like, this is my shot. This is my shot for people to see everything I'm capable of. But the secret sauce to most writing and creating, I think, is that less is more. Um, yeah. Right? And I think the secret sauce to some of the best episodes of our show is less is more. That's not less jokes or less story or anything, but it's let's have something very specific, have a very specific take uh, and, and write it with your voice. But to throw everything in, you're going to lose your your gems in, in a bunch yeah. of stuff that maybe is not going to stick with other people. Um, so absolutely. In fact, when I got to write an episode or two on the show, you know, I went from watching the writer's room happen, taking notes on the writer's room. And I would pitch throughout. Um, I think the writers, uh, and then when I joined them on staff, they, they, they knew that I got the show and that I had talent and I could be one of them and pitch with them. Um, but when it's your shot to do anything, it, I don't know, for other people, for me, I went from always saying to myself, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. And then someone saying, okay, do this. And I immediately drove home once I found out I was writing an episode, being like, can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do this? I hope I could do this. I hope I could do this. I know that feeling. All too well, man. It's it, But it's, it's weird how that kind of like messes with you when it's like, no, it's all I've ever wanted to do. It's something I know I'm skilled at doing and then someone i look up to says okay cool i trust you to do this and you're like oh fuck i they, i'm a fraud i mean not really but you know like i get that yeah. man i get that and you know something that every writer i've worked with and every writer i'm friends with will say the same thing to pitch a joke in a writer's room and hear people laugh is one of the greatest feelings you then see your joke enter the script on the screen and you're like i've done it and then maybe three or four seconds later, someone else will pitch a joke that gets maybe a little more of a laugh or it's just <laughs> the most recent laugh. And people are like, oh, that's funny. That's funny. And then your thing gets deleted. And then someone else's you're, joke you're, The bead of sweat drops down your temple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you go from this high of, oh, look what I've just made. And it's going to be in an episode of TV to, oh, it's gone. It's, and no one will ever know this joke again. But, oh, my God, my first time a, 
a joke made it in, I was <laughs> elated. And then I remember pitching again, and a bo- it was like crickets. No one said anything. And you're like, okay, well, okay, so I'm one for one now. And you cannot, you can't keep a running log of this or else you're going to, it's it's crazy making. Well, I'll tell you my running log. My running log, you know, Yule log, Christmas time. Uh, I wrote Alan at one point and I had a little joke in my email and Alan wrote me back and he said, that's gold. And I was like, cool, I'll never make another joke ever again uh, on this show because now, I sit at 100% comedy success. That's kind of like the writer's that's room, That's exactly right? it. You, you, you're there. You know, that's so funny because I remember sitting down at my computer and writing an email to the first season writing staff to say, these are the details for your first day. This is where you're <laughs> going to park. This is where you're going to come in. Read it over and over again to make sure it was, you know, because I'm, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. Um, and I sent it off into the world and I got an email back from Alan maybe 10 minutes later. Um, and I, we never met. And he said, you know, it's like great email, firm handshake. Great to meet you or something like that. Right. <laughs> and I was like, that's just great. Yeah. <laughs> I introduced myself with style. They're going to show up at work and everything's going to be great. Alan doesn't know the power he has on his replies. Not at all. I, I got to see a lot of writers come into the parks room. And generally when you join Parks and Rec, you, you didn't leave because... Uh, unless you, yeah. you had your own show or whatever life took you somewhere. and Why would you? It was a great space. It was a great room. And I know that Greg and Mike were looking for people that would want to be in this, you know, this room, this space with people for this long and just get along and could add, yeah. obviously, be funny, be good with story. Um, but you, you're in this room for 12 hours yeah. with people. I, I don't spend that much time with my family. And so... Um, and I'm sorry. Uh, Greg, I've been meaning to I'm talk sorry. to you about that, actually, I'm sorry to my family. That's going to be for the, the other more serious yeah, podcast. Right, my therapy today. session. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers. Which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. More popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi. It's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors. No prep, no mess meals. Now, Factors Fresh Never frozen meals are dietitian approved, which is awesome, and they're ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So, so good. I love this stuff. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore to help you crush your wellness goals. And let me tell you what I crush. They have a smoky bacon and cheddar egg bite that is good. Mm. I tried their shakes also, and they were so good. Oh, I'm a Factor fan. Head to factormeals.com slash parksandrex50 and use code parksandrex50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code parksandrex50 at factormeals.com slash parksandrex50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active.
Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former Presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must-listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. You know, Schultz, something else I've been wanting to talk about, about the early days of the show and the writing of it, um, you know, those first six episodes we've talked about on, on our series here that they feel a little different. They were shown into the world, and then you started to hear from people what they liked and didn't like. We had the ability to then talk as a writing staff and say, what do we like and not like, and what do we want to shift? And then we started writing and shooting season two. And if this had been a normal network 22-episode order, and we had to do that six or seven episodes in, well, when you're shooting episode seven, you're writing episode 12, your table read episode 10, and you're prepping to shoot episode 11. You are so in it that to change (laughs) what you're working on means changing episodes that have already shot, changing episodes that are being broken now. It is so hard to shift that many stories. So we actually benefited from this really weird six episode order. You've watched all of our series. You've watched all of Parks and Rec. Uh, What now? Parks and Recreation. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. And when you have been going back and watching this series now, as we're making our podcast, re-watching these early episodes, they probably watch differently than they did the first time, now that you know who these characters are, right? Yeah, totally. It, it absolutely gives a better appreciation. And that's reason enough to move on. That's true. Now, can I ask you a quick question, Greg? Um, it seems like you could potentially get into more hijinks by having to work on multiple episodes at once, you could potentially put something into episode six that you guys make a joke out of while filming episode two. And I think ultimately that's a benefit, but did that stuff kind of happen overall or did it become like a, I don't know, well-oiled machine where of course that stuff's going to happen because if it's funny here, we're throwing it in there. That's an interesting question. You know, I think about that with our shows nowadays that are shot all at once and you can really um, make some plants and set a lot of things up and foreshadow and do callbacks in a more um, production-inclusive way, so to speak, and writing-inclusive way. When we were shooting Parks and Rec, we would watch as a writing staff the early cuts. 
And I, those are some of my favorite moments on the show when we would sit in the writer's room at lunch and watch a cut of an episode. It was the director's assembly or the rough cut. It's one of the early drafts and it has everything. It has everything in the kitchen sink. It has some fun run stuff that we've talked about, extras that the actors throw in. It just has everything. And those are tough to see because they're not the perfectly 20 and a half minute edited version that everybody gets to watch now. But what you do is you get to watch them and see what's funny yeah, and see what's working. And so these moments are living in your head and that informs your writing and your creative process. And then, of course, some of those moments stick out and say, oh, this was funny then. What if we now go back to that location, right? What if we now go back to the bulge? Yeah, yeah. Or the library or the fourth floor or things like that. Right. A little joke that you're reminded of as you watch the episode is just going to naturally inform your writing of an episode that's going to happen six or seven episodes later. But in hindsight, it looks like you planned it all. Yeah. But really what you're doing is you're just capitalizing on what has worked. Greg, we're going to talk about Pierre real quick. Oh, boy. Uh, when I was sitting down with Greg and Mike for my interview, and they started talking about working in a writer's room, Greg Daniels said to me, you know, it's very confusing to have two people with the same name in a writer's room, in any room, they're having a conversation. I'm Greg. I'm already in the room. Schulte, you are Rob Schulte. I don't know how many people know this. We have Rob Lowe. You understand what I'm talking about? I do. So Greg Daniels, one of my idol heroes, is saying, hey, do you have any nicknames that we could call you? And so I was, I said, I remember saying to, I'm still cringing thinking about it. I remember saying, well, you know, actually Greg is a nickname. Thinking, oh, he's going to laugh. He didn't. Oh, no. <laughs> I kind of panicked in a way. And so I said, you know, I, I could actually tell you my dad, this is true. I don't understand it. My dad wanted to name me Pierre. Whatever. My dad is a fascinating man. He said, I'm gonna, I want to name my son Pierre. My older brother's Josh, if that gives any clarification of the naming in our family. So anyway, my dad wanted to name me Pierre and Greg Daniels loved it. He's like, oh my God, that's great. We will call you Pierre. I worked on The Office for about three or four months before I uh, Parks and Rec Writers Room took off. And so I show up the very first day at The Office and Greg Daniels goes around and introduces me to every writer there because I'd be working with them as Pierre. Oh, great. He doesn't even say this is Greg Levine, but we're going to be calling him Pierre. It's just, I am, this is Pierre. He's working on our show. I signed emails as Pierre. People would say, oh, bring that over to Pierre's desk. Like it's just saying, just oh. breathing. Like go bring, go, oh, that's Pierre's job. Go tell him what to do. I was Pierre for four professional years. But like when someone shouted out, Pierre, hey, Pierre, you have to turn your head and answer. Yeah, I, had, I I was responsible for distributing every episode pretty much of Parks and Recreation, and they'd be signed Pierre to the head of NBC. This is not a way to make a name for myself or a career. No, it's a way to make a fake name for yourself. There's a shocking twist, I think, where Greg Daniels, <gasps> he hires another assistant, an awesome guy named Pierre. No, no. <laughs> yeah, it happened. It happened. And so here I am. My fake Pierre, my fake name is now causing the same problem that my nickname Pierre was 
brought about to fix. Wow. And so Pierre Luigi, when he was at the Parks and Rec office, went by Luigi, which Pierre Luigi, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think that's was a nickname for a name for you. So my fake Pierre made a real Pierre not go by Pierre. And I'm dying to talk to Greg Daniels about this. I never had the courage to, maybe until now. Was that a bit of a social experiment? I will say one of my favorite things about it, Rashida Jones, who I love, called me Greer. Greer, which was a nice combination of Greg and Pierre. I thought that was sweet. The people who matter, they know who I am now. Everybody knows who I am now. I am Greg. I am Greg. This is a gift unto us all that you are now Greg solid greg you are greg the producer of parks and recollection wait shelty can i tell you one more thing oh i hope you do we're gonna be talking soon to a good friend of ours about some gifts Mm -hmm. Um, and we're gonna i want to talk to her about the gift giving that took place in the parks and rec writers (laughs) room let's make sure we do yes noted i was given a gift in the gift giving of the parks and rec writers room by my fellow writer's assistant there was a nameplate for my desk that said greg levine human being wow all right schultzy this has been great so far i'm loving it every moment of this we're talking jobs we're talking gifts Uh, i need to party so we have a good friend of ours from parks and recreation gay perello prop master extraordinaire coming in and to talk about gifts because it's our job yeah we got to do this gay welcome we're so happy to have you thank you so much guys yes yes okay so i was a big theater kid in college and high school so like working in the props department was always a blast especially when no one ever cast you i am very envious that you get to make fun things like dj roomba and (laughs) all the sort of ridiculous stuff that happened on Parks and Rec. Is there one prop that like specifically when I'm invited to a dinner party that like you're like, I got to talk about this, this gift, this prop. (laughs) There's so many. (laughs) Um, I'll take the your top 10 then. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah. If we go to like the Christmas episode, when everybody was kind of doing a, a thing for Leslie, but she gave all these amazing gifts out at the yeah. beginning. I actually, this is one of my favorite gifts, and I didn't have that much to do with it. And it was the Black Eyed Peas painting that I think <laughs> everyone freaking freaked out about. And I freaked out about it because I thought it was freaking awesome, too. <laughs> and I think um, just that reveal too on the set, like everybody, because we nobody saw it until we actually did a take of it. And... Just having that, like, Aubrey just freaking out when she saw it was really kind of, you know, I mean, you had to be there, but it was really freaking cool. Like, nobody had seen that, you know, all of that that went into it. That And and I actually, I I think Ian, our production designer, had um, commissioned the artist to do it. And I know there was a lot of back and forth. The one thing I would say was we only had one. So we had to quickly wrap it, <laughs> like, you know, after take, after take, after take. And thank God Julie on set was like, we had these pre-cut pieces. And it was like, you know, because uh, one rule that Mike Shore would do is like, you can't have a, what he would call the um, the soap opera gifting, where you take the fake box off and then it's, yep. you know, mm-hmm. it's not really wrapped. And that was his number one rule. Uh, I just got to say, as a person who gives gifts, 
God, that sounds, that just looks like a perfect way to give a gift. It's perfectly wrapped. You could take the box off and then you can get the top <laughs> off and you can still use it in the future. It's a beautiful gift wrapping. No tearing yeah. of paper. It's a dream. Grandmas everywhere love you, Greg. Thank you. It's so funny just thinking about uh, the holiday episodes and the, you know, the gift giving episodes of Parks and Rec. I think about that must have been a crazy time for you specifically in your department. Like this is an episode that's all about gifts. There's going to be a lot of gifts to be made. Uh, it's like I think about wardrobe. They must freak out every time it's Halloween having to come up with yeah. ward costumes for everybody that's cleared that anybody can wear. So what's that like for you? Do you feel like do you get like the early like stress sweats getting into holiday time? Yes. A lot of times we'll film this stuff. Christmas stuff isn't out yet. So then I kind of started um, hoarding things. And um, for year after year, I can go to my trailer and pull stuff because some things were, you know, they're not in season yet. So finding that good wrapping paper and the bows and the specialty stuff. And I also sweated anytime it was something for Anne, you know, the scrapbooks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That might actually be the the one that makes me sweat the most because it has to be so personal and it and it just you can't buy that shit right you have to sit down at a craft table and make it and so you know those are my most challenging that i would sweat about are there the ones that you don't sweat about if you're like i actually always really liked when galentine's day came up because i knew it was a very niche type of gift Here's the trick about Valentine's Day. I love all of the gifts, but you do realize we only see about four. Yeah. They give me a list of like 20 things. <laughs> <laughs> and you gotta make them. Um, I remember the needlepoint pillows. I forget if that was Operation Anne, maybe, but we had the needlepoint pillows. Right. And I think we only saw maybe three of them, but you know, I had to make... I don't know, uh, six, seven, eight. I don't remember how many ladies were at the table, but they all had to have their face and all had to have the headline. And when we guessed that they were born, um, and then they all had to be individualized. So it's not a character that we really know well. So I'm just trying to figure out the B story of their character and what would look kind of, in, you know, what would Leslie do? <laughs> <laughs> when we had Fred Armisen on the show, he talked about like, how much detail went into the coffee mug his character had oh, down to yeah. like look like yeah. there was like hand painted coffee stains yeah <laughs> on on his mug because of course he wasn't going to be drinking out of it when you guys are filming but like i would love to get some more examples of like some of the like gift giving minutia do you guys remember the marshmallow um ron swanson <laughs> <laughs> oh sure it was like yeah it was like tootsie rolls and marshmallows but I got to tell you, I'm sitting there. How am I going to make this thing look like Ron Swanson? It's yeah. like, you know, his mustache, what bins, what's chocolate? I just get a shit ton of candy next to me and I just start playing with it. You know, God. does his hair look like this? And then what can we use for the eyes? And yeah. Well, you have made so many super specific things on this yeah. show. I don't know if it cha if that's different from other shows and uh, projects you've worked on. Uh, if this is a Parks and Rec specific thing. Were there some that you were like, I'm just so proud of these. Uh, I need to put this in my house. I need this to be on yeah. display. People need to see what I have made. Okay. So, um, you're not supposed to keep anything, but... 
<laughs> the um on my kind of the, my thing i think this was in one of the um entertainment weekly it was one of my top favorite props to make which was the unity quilt that leslie makes for the engagement party of her in bed you know babe, and, hey, hey, that's my episode that i wrote so then you and i are connected forever because that um it was a challenge because of the time frame. I mean, making a fucking quilt, guys. You have to. Yeah. I mean, can I'm so sorry. You can say quilt. It's okay. Rob says it all the time. Okay. <laughs> um, my favorite square, and you tell me what yours is, was smallest parks. Remember, we did a little smallest park thing mm. and um, ran out of time, and there's no shoes on their feet, but <laughs> <laughs> but the little square with the. Uh, with uh, Leslie and Ben at Smallest Park was my favorite. I just remember it was beautiful, um, and we're going to get to it in some some seasons to come. But it was beautiful. I remember it being unfurled and being placed at the center uh, of, of the set, and everyone just marveling at because it was a patchwork of not just Leslie and Ben, but a bit of a history of the show we were making. It was a gift to us all. Little Joe Biden at the corner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every workplace has holiday traditions, you know? Yeah. And I can only imagine with this cauldron, bubbling cauldron of creativity that, like, maybe things are a little different. Did you guys do, like, Secret Santas and things like that? Well, I, I, I don't know what it was like if you did something in your department but I, I could tell you that um, I've been dying to talk about this on our <laughs> podcast. The Parks and Rec Writer's Room Secret Santa was very intense. Uh, it got to the point that in the last season or two, we picked our Secret Santa at the beginning of October. Because people get so personalized and so detailed and needed so much prep time. One of our writers, Dave King, massive baseball fan. Um, so I got him a poster that was a history of some different baseball, you know, stadium. So I go, oh, that's great. And I felt like I did a really good job. But then someone else is a big Kings fan, like LA Kings, the hockey team, and gets the Kings mascot to come to our office to then give a personalized <laughs> signed jersey to uh the gift receiver um i mean very intense i i will say something i'm secretly proud of and i've actually never told anyone so this is probably the best place to do it um is that i had mike shore one year another huge baseball fan and i went around to the cast and got them each to sign a baseball so there's a baseball with all the cast signatures on it and uh, I was like, you know what? This would be cool to have myself. And so I brought, <laughs> I brought two around and I had them sign a second one just in case something happened to it. Just in case oh, yeah, of it, course, yeah. someone smudges it or whatever. And I just now I have my own baseball with the entire Parks and Rec cast um, autographed it. But gay, like we're also talking about the fact that these were so intense. And I know people would go to... Uh, the art department, your department, to you asking perhaps some help. Did that ever happen? Did you ever people ever come to you? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I won't throw out every actor's name who said, hey, help. Um, but no, a lot of times that would be 
most mostly Christmas, but at the end of the season, the actors were so great at trying to give us personalized props. I mean, um, gifts for us. So yeah, we would help them out with that. I always knew what we were getting. That was the joy of doing what I do. I, I always had the inside. But individually, Greg, all of you guys, all of the writers and the staff, I would come to me around Christmas, and I had the section in my trailer that started out year one was just like a, a cabinet about this big <laughs> like season four it's one quarter of my trailer just says christmas on it yeah you know? and i we upped the ante with the greatest ribbon and the paper and the bags and stuff so yeah i love helping that out i mean you know what am i gonna be a curmudgeon i love, you know no you're a member of the team yeah and make it pretty wow <laughs> and to be clear it wasn't gifts for their personal relationships. It was for the crew or for um, a secret Santa gift for a parks person. <laughs> I know we only have so much time and we got to get gay back and talk more, talk details, talk a whole episode, I think, uh, just yeah. a fount of knowledge. So, no, thanks, Gay. This is amazing. But I have to throw it back to you guys. Do you have a gift that is Whoa. one of your favorites? I am not used to being on this side of the hot mic, but <laughs> my uh, favorite Parks and Rec gift. Um, I'm going to modify it a bit to say, because it's my one of my favorite moments having worked on the show and it involves uh, gay as well. Um, and we've talked about the seasons that come. We, could, we talk about plot that comes. Spoiler warning for everyone if you need to. Leslie, Ben will get engaged. Whoa. Right? So track their love story now. And Gay came in one day to the writer's room with a bunch of engagement, potential engagement rings for Ben to give to Leslie. And there's this image of whatever writers were there, you were there, uh, line producer Morgan Sackett, I think Dean Holland, director, uh, uh, and Mike and a few people just gathered around judging the various engagement rings. Um, <laughs> it was just a very cool moment because um, I think it is the ultimate gift given on the show, right? Um, and so I, for me, that would be the memory, the moment, everything. I'm so sorry, but you just reminded me of my favorite gifts. The jewelry box that first um, Leslie gives to Ben with the pen. And then that was Mike Schur's idea to do... I think it was Mike's idea to do it in the same box when she gives the um, Washington Monument. I was like, oh, that's freaking cool. Yeah. I love that. And then that's where the engagement ring comes out of. It's in Whoa. that very same box. I didn't know that. That's yeah. amazing. That's one of the things about Mike. As much as I can be cute and clever, and here's this real box, but he'll, he just says, oh, put it in the box that, you know, when he gave her the button out of it. I'm like, oh, my God, that's genius. <laughs> so. That's so good. Yeah. I think uh, I'd have to say... You know, that uh, my favorite Parks gift is uh, the gift of knowledge that I've got from both of you spending all of this time. Oh, boy. You're a softy. Thanks, man. Hey, tis the season. Um, okay, thanks again for joining us. Okay. Okay, great. <laughs> okay, Greg. Um, I get it. You're in the room. You're working. It's Parks and Recreation. But out of the episodes we've already covered, what is something that is yours? Undeniably, Greg Levine. You know, I spent the first year or so constantly talking to random uh, people who worked in city governments, asked them questions. Hilarious. It's hysterical. 
<laughs> I I called the Parks Department in Claremont, a local city uh, to Los Angeles, and asked them, okay, I have a piece of land. How do you make that into a park? And I said, I'm doing research for a show. Um, get, give me as many details as possible. Give me every single step that it would take. I think this person was like, why would anybody want to know this? And I did. And I spent about an hour or so with this uh, lovely woman who told me every detail. And I just fiercely typed notes. Um, and so we had this document. And then in episode six of season two, Kaboom, which we have recently talked about, we yep. used Kaboom to Kaboom a park. And there's that scene early on in the conference room and Leslie is looking at a diagram on a whiteboard of this is how you make a park. And one day uh, when we're doing the episode, Greg and Mike asked me to take the research I had done and turn it into a detailed but convoluted diagram. The truth is, it is convoluted. Yeah. There are a lot of steps. <laughs> so I made a flowchart of my interview of how to build a park. <laughs> I drew it up. I showed it to them. And that diagram is the diagram I made of how to build a park. That was an early win for me. That was an early cool. That's awesome. And speaking of wins, one of our audience members is going to be a winner as well. Rob, as you know, I love to give gifts. And I just recently was going through some of my Parks and Rec Kia, if you will. I don't know if that's a thing, but it's a thing now. It's the Parks <laughs> and Rec leftovers of my time on the show. And I have t-shirts. Sure. And I have memorabilia, and I have something really cool that I think I want to offer to our listeners. It is a deck of cards, a Parks oh. and Rec specific deck of cards with all of our favorite characters as the face cards. And it even includes Lil Sebastian. Watch out. 5,000 candles in the wind, Lil Sebastian as the Joker. Could you imagine... Winning a uh, hand of poker with like Ron Swanson and little Sebastian in your hand. I could, I will. Cause you've done it. You probably have done it. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, uh, it's a joy. Why, why wouldn't you want to play some of your favorite games uh, with some of your favorite characters? And so now you get to do those things. And listeners, if you'd like to enter this, just go to teamcoco.com slash parks gift. That's team Coco dot com slash parks gift that's team coco.com slash parks gift greg this is a dream come true uh i love like i said i love doing bonus episodes and i'm really excited for everyone listening to leave us a five-star review uh to leave us a town hall voicemail to keep continuing to listen to the show and then potentially maybe uh subscribing to our other 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 podcast that could be about mash we'll call it after after mash see man that's why you're the writer thanks i appreciate that and i appreciate everyone for listening and i appreciate and thank gabe perello for stopping by salty it's been a joy hanging out with you and talking parks and recreation with you on parks and rec collection absolutely uh, thank you to our hosts alan yang and rob lowe for allowing us these microphones until next time, goodbye from Pawnee. See ya.
This episode of Parks and Recollection is produced by Greg Levine and me, Rob Schulte. Our coordinating producer is Lisa Berm. The podcast is executive produced by Alan Yang for Alan Yang Productions, Rob Lowe for Low Profile, Jeff Ross, Adam Sachs, and Joanna Solitaroff at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Stitcher. Gina Batista, Paula Davis, and Britt Kahn are our talent bookers. The theme song is by Mouse Rat, a.k.a. Mark Rivers, with additional tracks composed by John Danik. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Parks and Recollection. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Stitcher. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former Presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must-listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.